Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. We have a listener question special for you today. We'll have another of them next week, and then we'll look back on the events that have taken place since Wimbledon in the shows in the weeks thereafter. Before we get on to your questions, I wanted to mention news that we received today, very sad news about the death of Peter McNamara at the age of 64. Catherine and I will pay tribute to him properly next week because we both got to know him well over the years. But just in short, I wanted to touch on the fact that Peter was best known for his doubles partnership with compatriot Paul McNamee. They won two Wimbledon titles together in 1980 and 1982, an Australian Open title in 1979, and Peter also reached number seven in the world as a singles player. He coached Grigor Dimitrov and Mark Filipousis, and most recently Wang Chiang to great success. You may remember she got to number 20 in the world late last year, and they were together for four years in a fantastic coach-player relationship which ended in February of this year. Peter died on Saturday from prostate cancer. None of us knew about it. It's something he, he kept to himself, but it's terribly sad news, and our thoughts are with Peter's wife Petra, his friends and family and as I said we'll talk more about Peter in the show next week. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. It's like when they give the results on Eurovision. This is <laughs> London calling. <laughs> Alex. We, we, we give eight points to Macedonia. <laughs> this is Catherine Whittaker, everybody, uh, we, who is talking because I just did an intro in which I said, this is David Law calling. When I meant to say, hello, everybody, tennis podcast listeners, this is David Law speaking. And uh, I'm currently on holiday at the moment, so we're not doing normal tennis podcasts. We're doing an extra one from the grounds at Wimbledon. And we're doing a listener's questions special, uh, guest edited by... Our mascot owner. Who's our guest mascot owner? Alex Petalas. Oh, thank goodness you're here. Because I couldn't have said that, Alex. No offence whatsoever, but I'm not as good as Matt, Matt, as Matt with all the old pronunciations. Uh, who is the owner of Rio with a Y, our special mascot for 2019. And uh, has backed us in our Kickstarter at the end of last year in order so that we could help keep going and create as many tennis podcasts as we possibly could and uh, we'll be doing the same at the end of this year and there will be a mascot slot up for grabs etc etc but uh, so thank you Alex for for doing that Uh, it's been a great support you've given us and uh, now it's your turn to ask us Catherine Matt and myself 
the best of your questions. You've chosen a few of your own. You've also selected the best of those that have been sent in to us by our listeners. So, without further ado, Matt, get cracking. The first one regarding Garbine Muguruza and Alex asks, who do you think would be a good coach for Muguruza now that she's finally split with Sam Sumik? Um, and if, if not a person what do you think she needs to to get back on track it's a good question Alex it's a really good question I think she needs to put in a big money offer to uh, Conchita Martinez to yeah. prize her away from Karolina Pliskova she won Wimbledon with Conchita Martinez Sam Sumik was at home in the States but I think his wife was given, whatever he wasn't here and uh, that was her last Grand Slam came a little bit out of nowhere she hadn't had the consistency coming in but certainly more consistency than she's had in the in the two intervening years um yeah that is the only formula that we know works for Garbini Muguruza so far slightly does uh Sam Samika disservice doesn't it because he she did win the French Open with him by her side it's not like it's very early days yeah but it hasn't been a wholly unsuccessful partnership it's just the last two years have been (sighs) not only well and that's a good word I would say I mean certainly from the outside it has felt like that I we don't have insider knowledge I don't think to be able to judge in in any great detail but it hasn't looked an uncomfortable it hasn't looked a comfortable alliance whenever he has come onto the court that the the body language between the two has not been something particularly good great to look at and and moreover the results have been appalling for a player of her standard i mean this is a player who reached the wimbledon final a few years ago then backed it up by winning the french open beating serena williams in the final then reaches the wimbledon final and wins that so you're talking about a player who's got two grand slam titles she then got to world number one and I thought she was the most likely player to take over from Serena Williams and have a period of, of relative domination. Maybe even a little like Novak Djokovic in the men's game. I thought that this sort of thing would be possible, certainly pre, I don't know, pre-2015 Djokovic. I thought she would have a run of, uh, of tournaments where she would maybe win half a dozen slams in three years or something like that. And, and she's sitting on two. She's, I think she's outside, well outside the top 20. She's just there for the taking way too often at Grand Slams I don't get it so something needed to change and I'm pleased that she has taken that step yeah I'm too it felt it it just it's felt so inevitable for so long and and for that reason it's felt like she's been treading water at best and it's such a shame because I mean we'll I was going to say we all know her potential. It's not potential. We've seen it come to fruition twice at Grand Slam tournaments, two very different Grand Slam tournaments. At that time, it felt like there is nowhere and no how, not a word, that she can't win. And and since then, it's felt like, <laughs> wow, she can find ways to lose <laughs> that we never thought, never thought possible. Um, certainly not on a on a regular basis. I found it really bizarre what's happened to her over the last couple of years, and I'm I'm pleased that this split has come. Not as you say, and I'm I'm sure there were positive elements to it, and I'm sure there was a time when it felt like it was working. But without question, it's it's been a long time coming the split, and I wait eagerly to see who she'll go with. I mean, who's on the market? 
Well, if you could... Cahill? If you could, I was going really to say, I mean, he, he's, a, he's the sort of coach that I think could work with an awful lot of players. But again, I, I don't feel like I know Garbini Magaritha much. I, I've, I've certainly inter- I've interviewed her once or twice. She's so different to what I expected to, her to be in terms of how her career has unfolded. Because when she first reached the Wimbledon final here, I remember the first time I saw her was in Australia. She played really well there. Then she came here and she reached the final here. And in her pre-final press conference, she was so open and so interesting and so full of the joy of it all. The joy has, has gone. And I hate that. I hate seeing a player who looks as though it's a bit of a chore and she has shut down with with the media hasn't she without question she has that slightly Sharapova-esque glazed expression in press conferences and to my knowledge she hasn't had a a bad experience I wonder if she's had that bad experience perhaps with the Spanish media um a a guy called um Antonio that that works he he does a number of different things um, all to great effect he works for the N- Rafa Nadal Academy he also does some work for Spanish Eurosport and he uh, Antonio Arenas and he he has a really good relationship with Garbini Muguruza probably as good as any individual I know and he really struggles to get anything out of it and he said that wasn't always the case he says she does have this touchy relationship with the Spanish media I, I, he I think he puts a lot of it down to the 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 tension about whether she would choose to compete for Spain or for Venezuela you'd think the fact that she elected to compete for Spain would endear her to to the Spanish public you know you're not just representing your country because you have to and you haven't got any other countries you could play for you've actively chosen uh, to compete for Spain but something something's gone wrong there somewhere along the line and uh, he once said to me that he had done an interview with her trying to get a bit of levity out of her asking her a few sort of slightly off the wall questions and he said if you weren't a tennis player what would you be and she immediately said an actress and he said he found that so insightful that because that's what he feels like she's doing all the time she's not herself she's inhabiting a role and I'd love to get to know her really yeah uh, and just see what sort of person she is because she just feels like it feels like there is a a champion in there way beyond what we have right now I don't know whether technically she has also maybe found a ceiling to her game to some degree because I mean she's she's a tall woman with with big hits but I always think back to when Caroline Wozniacki had it put to her that she was in the group of ball strikers at, uh, at, at, the, at the WTA finals because she was in with Pliskova and she was in with Ostapenko I think and Magruther and she said oh Magruther's not a big hitter which I found really interesting and I think the, the view was she's a relentless striker of a ball but she doesn't have explosive power I, I, I was I, I didn't quite I was surprised by that but But there there is an issue, and it's an extremely delicate issue and one that we we can't really go into without hearing in all frankness, which I don't think we're going to get from her herself, but she's lost a lot of weight and she's lost a lot of weight on her ball, hasn't she, over the last couple of years? Um, uh, And that is without doubt a factor. She doesn't hit as big a ball as she used to. I don't know if that's a conscious decision. I I don't know what's going on because we don't hear from her and without 
we can't put words in her mouth so no. it's very difficult for us to go into Daniela Hantikova talked about it um, at the US Open last year and that was at the time that Alina Svitolina had lost a lot of weight as well and it felt like a bit of a a pattern um, or a, a tra- I'm reluctant to say trend but certainly something that was more than just an isolated case um, and she's in a far better position to talk about it than than I or we are but on, on the bare facts of it that is that is a factor isn't it she has lost some some weight of shot over the last couple of years I think yeah but uh, the, I, I kind of feel the biggest point is she just doesn't look very happy out there and I, I want to see the joy return and I wonder let's just have a, a quick think about a few coaches around I mean okay not necessarily I know I've said Carolina Pliskova's coach Conchita Martinez but what about people that are not currently tied up and and do do we think that she would benefit from from maybe having a, a female coach as opposed to a male coach for a point of difference there and 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 also i don't know maybe just somebody i, I think sh- a lot could there are some great male coaches out there i mean in fact i think at the moment there are some really really great examples of of really healthy female male coaching relationships you know I was going to say Kiki Ra- Burton's Raymond and Raymond Slaughter. Slaughter, yeah. wouldn't it be great if Muguruza could but, find her own Raymond Slaughter type who she just but I do think it, I, I do think do you think a woman perhaps might be best for her and this I mean it's wild speculation because exactly as you said we don't know her do we we no. don't know her at all sort of but I do think someone that could get to the root of her emotionally mm. um, she's young enough isn't she there's pl- plenty enough. of time have you got any thoughts Matt I think whenever I've been in a press conference recently with Muguruza it is almost as though she still sees herself as the player she was two years ago and it's it's almost there's no she needs that acceptance that she's no longer able I mean she shouldn't be carrying herself with such a regal it's a sort yeah, of strength and a curse, isn't it? Because it, when she does carry herself like that, you do go, wow, she mm. really, she's the, the the bomb, you know, in the way she carries herself is around. Is she but. any different in Spanish, in the with the Spanish media, to what she is in English? I've not seen enough to say, but the, the, one, the one I saw at Wimbledon was incredibly similar in English and Spanish. She just shut the questions down as though it wasn't she wasn't willing to engage but just wanted to get through it but mm. then obviously she did make the the coaching change so that in itself is surely the first step of the acceptance so i think that's a good sign also about her game you know in the last two years we have seen this variety come into women's tennis and that isn't necessarily what muguruza's strengths are so potentially it's possible that the game has caught up with yeah. her a little bit and she needs to add layers to her actual game well she doesn't like else. it if somebody does mess her around because she wants to play that metronomic style I mean her against Conta at the Australian Open this year was just such a great match mm. but it was two women standing toe to toe and saying bring it on and they were going back and forth they were in extraordinary rallies but nobody really was throwing in variety and you can see players are able to get under a skin probably in a similar way to how they can get to contour what I would say is that 
about a year and a half, two years ago, I noticed Muguruza was going to the net a lot. You know, every time she hit a decent ground stroke, she was in there. And I did like that tactic for mm. her, being a tall woman with a wingspan. But wing was span. that when she was with Martinez? I think, Martinez. It, I think it was with both. I think that, that they had decided for her to go in, but I've not noticed that as much recently. But then I have, I just feel like there's just not been as much get up and go about Muguruza. No. She's felt as though she's not really with us at times in matches, and I, I think that's really sad. So I hope I hope she finds a way because she's tennis got could, such a lot to offer. Tennis could benefit from from her doing that. I mean, we're we're sat here a couple of hours after Simona Halep's on the Wimbledon title and discussing we've been discussing whether or not she could go on to dominate. And I was discussing discussing earlier with Conchita. Martinez about you know what this means for for Pliskova who she's she's still working with and the fact that you know Pliskova should be watching what Halep did did today and thinking that should be me doing that you know and I I want Muguruza to be watching watching it in the same way thinking the same things but she doesn't feel she doesn't feel even in the Pliskova bracket well done, Remotely. by the way, with the Conchita Martinez uh, pronunciation, which I've been completely <sighs> messing been up. I've been working on it. I've messed that up all through this podcast and several others. The thing is, I always used to say Martinez, and then something got in my... I got the yips. You got the David Laws <laughs> influence. You, you, you hung out with me too much on this show. I think the in, an, in, an interesting sort of tangent to questions like this is it's very difficult for us to recommend a coach for someone because there's so much more to you coaching say that, it's like recommending a boyfriend for somebody yeah, isn't it or so a girlfriend it's, so much it's more chemistry exactly yeah. it's I'd quite like to have a go at it so, you know, see if I can come up All with right. a great name go for it come on come on uh, Gavin, yeah? What? get me on the team as your consultant oh I thought you were saying you'd like to recommend boyfriends and girlfriends oh, for no. people <laughs> I wouldn't mind being a coach I reckon I could be good what do you think what do you think? If, if if I was her coach, what right, would you tell her? Do you think she would do all right? She's already a world class player who's won two slams. Well, I there are I examples of coaches that haven't been any good. Top, I mean, Roger Rashid is the one that springs to mind. He was an Aussie no, Rules he, player, good, wasn't though. he? Yeah, he can play there. He wasn't. He wasn't a former player. Wasn't a former player. Yeah. So you well, think I could? You obviously have to know how to hit tennis balls, but Why are you looking at there's me like different that? types of coaches, aren't there? Yeah. What you did we could, think then? You could be a sort of inspirational figure. What are you saying it as, like that? As a I, I don't think Garbini Muguruza should be going after <laughs> you as her next coach. <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> okay. Well, or any of us. To we'll, be end, fair. We'll, end, we'll end that there then. <laughs> What do you think at Tennis Podcast? Could David Law be a decent coach for Garbini Muguruza if she was desperate? I'm not sure the the <laughs> listeners are aware of your credentials. Do I need some? Are we? <laughs> Is David? <laughs> I might be an untapped source for all you know. What I would like. you tell her? What would you say to her? Enjoy it. Yeah, but you can't just tell it's like telling someone to be happy. You can't. How? And she would say. How? How do I do that, David? Just, it's not the end of the world, is it? Go and have a good time out there. That's like when someone says, cheer up, love, it might never happen. Hardly. The worst thing you can possibly say to a person. What stuff do no. I say to you that works? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's okay, we'll deal with this later. <laughs>
<laughs> well, said, there and you go. He, and That's he, what I'd say. Then he texts Matt and say, "Don't reply to her. Don't reply to her, Matt." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what we've learned is give things time before responding. <laughs> okay, uh, Gavin, I'm in the market. Actually, no, I'm not because I've got a tennis podcast to uh, to present. So sorry, you're out of luck. <laughs> right. Shall we have the next question? Next question. That one's taken 17 minutes. <laughs> it was a really good question. Uh, so the next one is, if you could make unlimited changes to the tennis calendar, what would those be? I.e. adding certain tournaments in certain locations, m- removing some, or just changing it all around? How do you think the calendar needs to change? Unlimited changes. It would always be an easier question if it were, you can make two changes. Mm. What would they be? What would the priority changes be? I mean, I want, I, I want to see a one brilliantly successful team competition for men and women combined. Yeah, I, I think that would be the first thing I would want ahead of everything. I agree with you. Yeah, just something that has the feel of everything that we've loved about Fed Cup and Davis Cup over the years, but which has common sense attached to it in a way that it can be marketed. And, and I mean, look, there are some very good parts to Lever Cup. I'd love to get the good bits of Lever Cup into yeah. that team event, yeah. but well, one that has this feeling of just you would put your life on the line almost to to win it. Uh, It needs to be that level of importance. It needs to be something all the players... It's not even a conversation about whether they play. Same as the four Grand Slams. Of course we're playing. Hmm. It's the World Cup of Team Tennis. Of course we're playing. And at the moment, you have this... I have people still saying to me, I don't know why you're going on about the old Davis Cup. There was lots of players that played it. But... (laughs) Why are we having to justify this? Shouldn't this be is a conversation. Ri- this is ridiculous. It? So it's already not good enough. And then you have people who rightly laud the success of the Labour Cup, but try so hard to ram it down your throat that this has to be immediately accepted and it's the best thing since sliced bread right now. Well, look, there's lots going f- for it, but it's, it's not the solution on its own. Come together and figure it out. Bang your heads together and work it out. But I, I accept that that's part of just so much of a wider problem of personal individual interests and already contracts that are ingrained in the sport and how do you make things move in order to make it work i do like um the idea well not idea i mean the the prospect of the fed cup being in april the fed cup finals being in april i think we're so wedded to the idea of the the team competition finals being at the end of the year that it sort of felt inconceivable that they might not be but um, when the ITF announced that the Fed Cup finals were, would be in April I sort of thought oh yeah that that does feel like a bit of a gap in the calendar and particularly if you um, hold them in in Europe and obviously there's no guarantee it's a three year deal with Budapest I think and that was one of the things they were quizzed about the launch press conference okay does does its position in the calendar in April mean that it will always have to be in Europe and that is potentially an issue they'll have to face in the future because you want it to be an international competition but 
April makes quite good sense to me. And now the you know the the women's calendar is looking to be substantially shorter than the men's calendar, isn't it? Of course, because you won't have Fed Cup at the end of the year. I mean, and it's already shorter, isn't it? Because the Shenzhen WTA finals is is what mid October. So yeah. be a full two months off. Yeah, yeah. which feels that feels like enough I mean I'm like, on one hand I, you know calendar changes people always jump to the season needs to be shorter season needs to be shorter and and I think sort of on one hand yes on the other hand but a load of exhibition events would just crop up that all the players are playing and on the third hand that I don't have um, I don't want there to be less tennis if you, <laughs> tennis if you could great. if you could just rip it all up though and start all over again would you move the slams about at all I mean, I'd w- put the tours together. If I was starting from scratch, the tours are unified. We don't talk about men's and women's tennis. We just talk about tennis. You only have combined events. Only have combined events. And I think if I was completely starting from scratch, I would have... I mean, it's, it's impossible because of, as you were saying, all the contracts and sponsorship and stuff that's already in the sport. But I would have fewer annual events. I mean, the, I think the, the slams would all be annual events and you would have... Um, you know an annual team event but maybe you could have sort of swings where one year everyone goes to asia and it's like a great big thing and all the players go there the next year you've got swings in europe that everyone goes to and i just Love think this idea i just think that you could market it differently and there's there's potential there for there to be fewer events but more really big events the, pro- the problem you would have is whether tournaments could make it work if they're only sort of occasional yeah um, exactly. and and the other one is that play- players have these this is their job you know and they need a lot of events in order to make it pay a lot of them. i mean you could i think you'd still have a tier of a lower yeah. tier where you did have the events that were kind of all year round but for the for the top players i just think possibly they should be playing less i I mean i like that i agree the idea that less tennis why it sounds ridiculous why am i saying that but i do think we are going to have to think about protecting these players on a bit of a tangent about what i just said about all events should be combined combined events just a um a an asterisk to that is i really like the canadian masters the rogers cup Mm. the tandem uh, Toronto Montreal thing I love that I love this is Canada's week of tennis we alternate which city yes, hosts the men's like which that. hosts mm. the women's I know that wouldn't necessarily be possible in every country every city whatever but and and you, I love that and you kind of get that during the summer grass court swing here okay they're different events but you've got Queens and Birmingham going mm. on at the same time and it's just a nice feel obviously I, they, don't, mm. they don't alternate cities but I do like the idea of them being combined though mm. uh, actually being at the same place it's just difficult to always find the right facilities that can accommodate that many players and that many it's not always that easy um, but I would love to see a lot more of that um, the the only other thing that that's I find a shame is for instance when you're listening to this right now this is in one of our couple of weeks where we're not just keeping up with the regular uh, weekly tour you have so many tournaments right now in places like Newport and Borstad and Gestad and uh, and Kitzbühel and Umag fantastic tournaments all of them I've been to all of them at one time or another pretty much anyway and and I love those tournaments but on a sort of narrative level 
they don't make a lot of sense and, and because you know you're going straight from Wimbledon to Newport and it's a grass court tournament and it's after the Lord Mayor show and that's I don't mean to be rude to Newport because it's clearly a really cool tournament but I'd love it if it was in the run-up to Wimbledon as part mm. of the grass court run-up I'd love I've been to Gestad many times it's one of the most beautiful tournaments I've ever been to and it does mean I haven't been to Borstad because it's the same week or it has been traditionally in the past and these are great clay court events love them but it's why aren't they in the lead up to the French Open now I know it's because there isn't room but there should be room there should be a you know in an ideal world you would have that leading up to the French Open you would have Rotterdam this fantastic yeah. event run by Richard Krejcik and his team which is one of the lo- oldest tournaments on the calendar and it's so well run and you want this indoor hardcourt tournament in my eyes leading up to the the finals if it's on an indoor hard court and there's there's it feels like a fudge doesn't it it's like oh these are great events we want them but we've got nowhere to put them so blah there you go it's events for the sake of events yeah it's a disservice to everyone Mm. because they are great events Mm. yeah and i think working within the current framework that we have in the calendar does always feel a bit weird that there's no grass court masters or premier mandatory event I, i think that, w- that feels like a change that would benefit the tour if just in terms of numbers in terms of having more points available on the grass would is something that I think a lot of people would say makes sense but how logistically do you do it but in an ideal world you would have a grass court masters I mean, how, how have we got to a point where there is like three or four weeks worth of grass court tennis mm. well what is it maybe five weeks now and yet there's so much of everything else and, I mean, and in the past three of the four slams have all been have been on grass yeah Catherine sorry Matt, Matt Catherine's Catherine, gone now because yeah, the dog has just walked dog, past yeah. so. that's my favourite one oh. and I make eye contact with that dog handler every evening and my eyes are saying I know that dog's working but could you could you bring the dog back <laughs> once it's finished its shift and he make, he locks eyes with me and he knows he knows what my eyes are saying and he's never brought that lovely, lovely Labrador back to see He's me. just walking off now. Um, yeah. So there we are. <laughs> just a little aside. Um, anything else we would do with the calendar before we finish? Oh, hold on. The dog's coming back. Dog looks really happy. Delighted. He's seen me. Okay. Uh, so what else would you do with the calendar? Anything else? Um... Would, would you would you move the Australian Open? Some people say it's it's a bit much. It starts in the year and uh, it should have a proper run in. You know, I think it kind of does have a proper. I mean, I'm nervous. We obviously haven't seen the new run in with the mm. ATP Cup, um, so that'll, that'll be interesting next next year. Yeah. I, I I love that everybody's fresh for the Australian Open. There's absolutely no weariness at all. Everyone. I think Courtney was talking about it um, on a, one of our Wimbledon podcasts. You know, everybody rocks up there and they're so eager, eager beaver, and you know, just got a twinkle in the eye and mm. like, oh, tennis! I've missed tennis <laughs> over the last you know four and a half days when it wasn't happening. Um, and I love that about the Australian. Well, Open. they have more time, of course, with the off season. At least, I mean, not Courtney, by the sounds of it, <laughs> she just works all hours. Uh, does a fantastic job. But the players obviously have a couple of months off. And I think if you compare tennis to golf, which is obviously the other sport with four majors, I like the fact that the, the slams in tennis are spread more evenly throughout the year. It's as a 
as a golf fan, it's always felt a bit weird that they're so congested right in the middle of the season. You get, you finish the last one, and it's kind of nine months before the next one. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want that in tennis. I do like that they are staggered throughout the year, and yeah. I, I, I like starting the year with a bang, with a slam. Yeah, gets you into it, and the slate's clean. The you don't know what narratives are going to come up, and then it really sets you up for the year. And you have that local issue, otherwise, don't you, of Australia being set up for the for the Grand Slam to take place during their summer holiday, which is January. Mm. It does work on that level. Plus, we all get to go to Australia, which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know that's irrelevant well, to you, is listeners. Solihull if you don't in get January to go. not a tourist destination? I mean, there are similarities. <laughs> I just can't think what they are. Um, so, yeah. Okay, well, we're, we're, we're a bit unsure as to what to do with the calendar um, uh, on, on a sort of mass scale, but there's a couple of suggestions. And, uh, and I think we are in all in agreement that the, the team event, just please, tennis, get it right. What I would say about that is team events, I think we have been sceptical about having numerous team events because we're not sure if there's so many, what do they all mean? How are we supposed to be interested in them? Do we need to be careful about the fact that if players want team events and kind of if they're good for players' mental health and all that kind of thing, is it is it a bad thing if we have more team events? That's a really valid point. My my counter would be that I feel like there's a sort of zero sum quantity of caring mm. and interest in team events and I would rather see that channeled into one mm. rather than dispersed across many I might be wrong I wouldn't and, mind uh, you know I look I I think w- one of the things that's annoyed me most about the response to changes and new events and all the rest of it is people just wanting to damn them before they've even happened just give these things a chance okay yeah. give, give it all a chance let's all cross our fingers and hope that it works and it's for the for the best of tennis but that that's my macro concern with with how numerous they are now i don't i don't and that it's the macro concern with tennis as a whole the competing agendas the the fact that the tours are separate the fact that the itf is separate the, you know the players council versus the rest of the atp competing agendas we should all be on the same page and currently we're not we yeah. should all be working for the best of tennis and not everybody is at the moment uh- I personally wouldn't mind there being additional events if there was enough variety of thought and and to just come up with good solutions. Mm. As long, but the the absolute prerequisite for me is that there is one great one that everybody knows that it's like a slam. It has to. We need a fifth slam, and it needs to be a team event. I don't mind there being another couple. There mm. could be a a team event swing or something. Mm. I I don't know, but. Um, maybe with a bit of variety in it so that you have something different to, to to make it feel different or in a different place or something. I don't know, but we need that fifth slam, I think. Yeah, and I think what people have been most critical of is the fact that 
currently the we're going to sort of end the year with a team event and start the year with a team event. They're, they're they're too close together, but also separated by by the off season. It just doesn't feel quite right. If if you moment. try to explain that to anybody outside tennis mm. who doesn't understand the factions and the reasons for it as such as they are, they would look at you as though you'd lost the plot. Mm. That us having a Davis Cup in Nove- late November or whenever it is, mid November, and then you. St- six weeks later you're, you're doing another one and you're still doing it nation against nation and they're completely separate hmm. and Stefanos Tsitsipas might not qualify <laughs> well apparently I, I read that he now is in because they found a player <laughs> they found a player <laughs> that is off the street yes. oh, no, I, I've, I've heard that there, there is a player now that, that he is able to partner with in order for them to enter the ATP Cup that's what I've read let me see if I can possibly um find that for you uh, <laughs> on the you don't how, know this place hang on Matt how far down you don't you know going, this player's name I don't how far down are you going to have to scroll on the ATP is it rankings? a ranked player but you only need one ranking point right to, to be in with because it's combined it's like doubles it's combined ranking so there was talk of I think them trying to get Sitsipas's brother mm. a wild card into something just to get him a ranking but it's point, much easier said than done to get yeah. a ranking point there's a lot yeah, of crikey yeah. yeah you have to be good yeah <laughs> What have you got, David? Oh, I don't seem to have got much. <laughs> no. Um. But isn't this in itself ludicrous? They've they've found Stefanos Tsitsipas, a a human being with a pulse. Here we go. That they can give a ranking point to. Mikhail Pervolakaris will have an ATP ranking on Monday, thanks to his career, his his appearance at the tournament in Winnetka Challenger. He is Greek. This will allow Stefano Sitsabas to pretend to play the new ATP Cup, somebody <laughs> said. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. But anyway, that's what I'm reading. So, two questions down, 34 minutes on the clock. We're not doing very well here, are we, folks? We might have to make this a two-parter. Just one final thing. ATP Cup has ranking points, Olympics doesn't. Not on. We'll underline that. Well Ludicrous. Said. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. 
but if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Okay, Alex's next question is, why are there not any or more openly gay active male tennis players uh he says there's been no openly gay man on tour in the open era in contrast two of the all-time greats billy jean king and martina navratilova came out and there are more on the wta tour why has it not happened in the men's game well i mean it's obviously a fantastic question it's a huge it's a huge sort of talking point generally i mean and and i can't talk with 100% um, conviction about it but having heard Brian Vahali talk about it um, and other people within within the sport um, it's nobody has and it seems to me that there's a feeling that people aren't ready for it or they're not confident enough to be able to feel comfortable in doing so and and as kevin anderson has said one, once or twice now statistically the it of course there are gay players on the men's tennis circuit who have not come out because and 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 why is that well i, I can't definitively tell you but i would imagine that they don't feel that they're going to be accepted or feel comfortable or be in that locker room and and know that it's okay with everyone to, to, to not be treated differently in a way that they would be uncomfortable with and I think I would urge everyone to read Charlie Eccleshare's report you know, special report on it which I think was published at the start of this year I think it was in January where he had been asking a lot of the players about, about this exact question why has nobody no male player come out as gay and there were some quite concerning quotes in that piece from, from a lot of the players saying that you know saying things like they'd be happy you know they'd be fine with it as long as they showed respect yeah. and things like that kept and, it to themselves and things like oh no well we're fine we'll be fine with it sort of not not self-examining and not 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 thinking not looking at themselves and thinking would I be okay if I if someone came out as gay how how would that affect me sort of almost saying yes it would be fine but because it doesn't affect them it's quite an easy thing to say and there's no actual there's no actual action towards encouraging people to come out yeah i mean if if you're not working to achieve the solution you're part of the problem mm. i think with this and i think there's a lot of a lot of very prominent players that are guilty of that guilty of complacency guilty of saying 
well, I, I would be fine with it, so I don't see see the problem. Um, and and that's really well, what, what lazy should, what and, should and they be doing privileged. What, and what should they be doing? Examining the problem, I think, as Matt said, self-examination, I think, is a huge part of it. Not just instantly getting defensive and saying, oh, I'm not homophobic, I'd be fine with it. There is a problem here. There is evidently a problem because, of course, there are gay men on tour. Of course there are. And I, whenever this topic comes up and it... I mean, look, it's come up more recently because of articles like Charlie Eccles shows but it should be should be coming up all the time so it's a great it... shame on on men's tennis but every time it comes up I just think about the gay players that there are because there are gay players and I just think how awful that must be for them so awful. we know that Nick McCarvel uh journalist colleague who has run a, a number of events now um yeah. to, to to further the conversation and to get really people talking events, and, yeah. and to get people i imagine the, the the point is to get people comfortable talking about it so that there's a there's a dialogue and there's a sort of conversation around this whole uh, subject so that it doesn't feel in your words uh, other and yeah i i is is that what you think it, it requires from tennis and from the players i noticed at nick's event a couple a few players came and that needs to happen doesn't it that in order for for it to just become part of the norm and and, and the sort of what what happens day to day without any suggestion that that it isn't normal yeah i mean it feels like there's a don't ask don't tell policy at the moment and how unbelievably out of date does that feel I mean yeah of course it needs to be be normalised and it is yeah it's it's. I mean I'm, I I can only relate it, relate it to the gender problem because that sort of if I that enables me not to speak beyond my beyond my brief but there is a I talked about it in our in our we weren't allowed to call it the gimmel pod because that was too clickbaity but our the podcast that we recorded with simon briggs following the the uh, the guilty plea of, of justin gimmelshop and the whole sort of no contest plea the the no contest plea of justin gimmelshop and the whole sort of airing of tennis's dirty laundry that 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 followed that there is an air of toxic masculinity about men's tennis at the moment and I, I feel like the, the attitude towards women in equal pay and towards gay players is all part of that toxic masculinity it's not it, it has tentacles that reach into very distant corners it's this celebration of laddishness that to me feels so completely dated and it just strikes this horribly out of tune note but if you're caught up in it and that's all you know and you're you it's it's exactly as Matt said it's it's a self-examination it's taking yourself out of what you know and going hang on a second is is this right is this I think that's what frustrates me slash <laughs> enrages me most about um, responses whenever you know gender-based issues come up it's I don't expect everybody to be a hundred percent woke I get it I wasn't it's the it's the reflexive defensiveness it's the total 
resistance to self-examination yeah. that bothers me the most and I think that is a, a, it's similar in the instance of of um, of homosexuality in, in tennis and I, and I just keep coming back to the thought of there are gay players there are gay male players and it must be awful for them and my heart breaks a little bit when I think about that they don't feel that they can come out yeah and, and that, that is horrendous in 2019 and that's Alex's question why has no one come out it, it, it would have to be the environment that there is in men's tennis I mean c- coming out can be a difficult thing to do in front of family and friends and you you know who who love you or whatever let alone in front of a locker room where there is that laddishness and that toxic masculinity i mean it's it's if that is there which we believe it is with everything that we've spoken about with justin gimmelstop if that's all there it's it's not a surprise that someone hasn't come out because why would they feel comfortable doing it in that environment that that's what has to change for it to for it to happen right folks well we expected to get through about 10 questions in this uh, in this edition of the tennis podcast we've got through three so i think alex we're gonna have to do it make this into a two-parter and uh, it's, a, it's a testament to how good alex's questions were. very they good are. questions yes alex. We, we've, we've immensely enjoyed that that succession of uh, conversation points uh, and we will do another version of this show uh, next week here on the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with the Telegraph executive produced by TennisBalls.com with our mascot Rio with a Y owned by Alex who asks such great questions and so yeah join us again next week and we'll do this again Normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.